Hi, everybody. Uh, this is Rich McDaniel. I'm so happy to be back here again, especially given the circumstances, because this last few days has been pretty challenging for the church with the flood of the baptismal. But I'm not one who is going to be complaining because one of the people uh, baptized last week was my grandson, Caleb. So there will be no, no, uh, no criticism from this quarter. <laughs> so uh, t today is the we're ending this series, not the whole series on John, but the series uh, that I call the commencement speech. Um, and these last six verses are just incredibly, incredibly powerful. Um, in fact, if I could just back up, um, John chapter 13 to 17, is a, for me, has been a life passage. Um, many years, many hundreds of hours marinating, dwelling uh, in the meaning of these words. And, and the Lord has just uh, really impressed so many things. And so the challenge here is going to be just to say what God wants me to say in such a short period of time. So uh, in these six verses, um, it's really a privilege because in these six verses, I think what uh, Christ is saying is the main thing. He's going to reiterate the main thing. And that thing which really, if you will, uh, captures the whole passage. And it not just captures the passage, but it captures the core of what's presented in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And beyond that, it captures the Bible. Uh, and I'll, I'll try to reflect a little of that as I move through these words quickly. And beyond that, I think it even captures the meaning of life. Now, when you get to be that heady and you're going to go to that high a mountaintop and you're going to try and cover so much, I'm just reminded of this pastors uh, who is, uh, took his, was a young pastor in North Dakota and he took his first church and there he was and it was coming up on his first, it was the dead of winter and just the Saturday night as things would have it, there's this enormous blizzard and so, I mean, three feet of snow outside and uh, so there he is, he's all ready and excited for his first service and uh, nobody's there. And finally, there's a bang on the door, and someone uh, comes to the door, and it's an old man. He's an old farmer. And uh, he lets him in, and he says, Sir, he says, I'm not sure what to do about this. He says, You know, you're the only person here. Should I proceed? And the old farmer said, You know, he says, When I go out into the field in the dead of winter and only one cow shows up, I still feed him. And the pastor took such uh, excitement about that that he took the pulpit, and he just went on for an hour and a half. And he just couldn't stop himself. He was just fire in the belly. And then at the end of the service, uh, the pastor says uh, to the man, he says, well, was that okay? And the old farmer says, uh, says uh, young man, he says, uh, if I go out in the field and only one cow shows up, I still feed him, but I don't give him the whole load. So I can't give you the whole load, but I really want to capture some of these sort of bigger thoughts as we kind of close out this passage. Um, so... If you will, we could maybe begin with the end in mind. And I don't know if you've been to Disney World or Disneyland, but if you go to the haunted house and you're there on the outside, you're going to find that there's a graveyard there. And then they have all these humorous sayings on epitaphs on the gravestone. But the one that captures my imagination is the one that's in Latin because it brings a certain gravitas to whatever's being said. And it says, tu fui ego arrest. And it means thinking about this dead man laying in the grave, and he says, uh, as, as you are, I was. As I am, you soon will be. 
And this notion that there's just so little time that the need to know why we're here and what we're doing and what's most important, and if you will, the meaning and purpose of life as we go through it, while we still can. So let's begin uh, right at that level. And let me take you into this, uh, this thought. This is there's the one sort of mountaintop thought before I hit the passage, which is this. Um, what I believe is not just that these words in this passage are true, but that God himself is real. And um, uh, I guess we've all had different journeys, and I don't come to it with any arrogance or um, presumption of knowing uh, all about everything about everything. But I've spent 50 years uh, just thinking through and analyzing this, this notion of, of why one would believe in God. And in theology, it's called general revel revelation. This notion that God is real. And if time permitted, and it would take hours and hours, but you could begin by seeing that we have a universe that came from nothing. If you were to look at the most current and powerful science, that something came from nothing, and that this universe is finely, finely tuned so that it can sustain life. And that even then, life wouldn't be possible without intentionality and design and purpose. And then that intentionality goes from, from something simple to something complex, and then it goes all the way to us, to those of us who are, if you will, um, able to stand back and think about why we're here. And so um, God is real. And the, there has never been a time in human history when it has not been more powerfully corroboratable that what we believe, that the notion that God is real, you can reach that conclusion. So when you come to Scripture, Scripture begins and it recognizes those very things. So in Psalm 19, you know, the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of His hands. And day after day they pour forth speech and night after night they reveal knowledge. God is real and the Scripture recognizes what we've discovered only in the last hundred years in five different dimensions that come to my mind and it just powerfully recognizes that. If you don't believe that God is real and you don't believe that the Scripture is reliable, then what I'm about to say has no substance. It has no foundation. And having spent most of my life uh, in circles uh, that were secular, um, being ready to give a, a reason for the faith that we have is so, so hugely, powerfully important. And so God is real, and the scripture uh, is, is reliable. And so if that's true, what does the scripture say is the purpose of my life? Why am I here? What would it tell me about, if you will, the, the wisdom of wisdom that defines the, the direction and purpose and priority? So where did I come from and why am I here and where am I going? And that's where I'm going to connect us right here into this passage. These last six verses, these, uh, they're really kind of capturing what is being conveyed from, for, through the last five chapters. And one of the challenges of church life is that when we when we break things up so that we can have a sermon uh, that is achievable, um, we have to go down to two or three or five or ten verses at a time. And Jesus delivered all five of these chapters in one setting, in one evening. It didn't take him four months. And so it's easy to lose that mountaintop as we go down and do the analysis of things. And so what is he saying here in these six verses? So I'm going to try and sort of call that out 
and recognizing that the God who created the universe is the God who loves me, and the God who loves me is drawing me through into all of this. So here we are. It says in John uh, 17, verse 20, it says, my prayer is not for them alone. So if you will, if you get the context of the prayer itself in John 17, you know, it, it begins with, you know, after Jesus had said these things, he looked toward heaven and prayed. And he says, Father, um, um, the hour has come. He says, glorify your son. And he says, um, for you granted him authority over all people so that he might give eternal life to those that you've given him. Now, this is eternal life. This is eternal life that they might know you. That's not talking about um, the ability to pass the doctrine test. It's not, it's not a cog, in the Jewish culture, that's knowing, was being, was knowing someone like you know your wife or you know your best friend. It's a knowing that's relationship. It's relationally rooted so that you might, that I might know you or, or that you might know me, the only true God. And so we'll come back to that, uh, to some other pieces of that in a minute. But here we are all this time later, we recognize this thing about knowing God is the, is the goal. And he says, my prayer is not for them alone, but I pray also for those that will, that will um, believe in me through their message. So he's just been talking to these um, 11 men. And he says that these guys are going to go and share what they've learned in such a fashion that there's a lot of other people coming. Well, guess who that is? I mean, that's us. And so he's basically anticipating that we are going to come to a, to a vibrant relationship to know this Jesus in a way that's personal. And, and, he's, and it might take 2,000 years for us to come on the scene, but, here we, but that was always part of the plan, that all of them may be one, Father, just, just as you are in me and I am in you. So there's this oneness that is, is integral. And may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me so that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So there's two things I want to pull out of here that really captures this notion of being one with God. This notion that we can be one with God, that is so powerfully th all through Matthew, through uh, John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, this notion of being uni united. Uh, Jesus said, uh, as he's leaving them, he's basically saying, I won't leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. Uh, and um, uh, because I live... Uh, you, and he said, I will come to you. Before long, the world won't see me any longer, but you will see me. And because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will realize that just as I am in the Father, you are in me and I am in you. Now, that's what he's saying. He's reiterating that in these last six verses, this notion that I am in God and he is in me, that our purpose in this life is to live life with him, that he is to live in us and with us and through us. That is the meaning and purpose of life itself if we can trust the scripture and this story as being the account of, to, to relay it to us. And that's, so that's, that's, to me, that just blows me away. Um, so um, this notion of our oneness with God is part of it. But there's something more that we, we, can't, we really don't want to uh, short shrift um, it, because 
the, I recall, uh, was it John 13? It says, uh, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, you should love one another. It's for, because it's by this that everybody who around us will see that we belong to him, that we are his disciples, because we love one another. So I want to illustrate something for you that just kind of, if I am in Christ and Christ is in me, just as Christ is in the Father and the Father is in him, and th the Holy Spirit is now inviting us into Christ, this is this is such a powerful, powerful thought. There have been really wise men, people I have enormous respect for, who have taken on this sort of uh, subject of subjects. And, uh, and, and uh, I think of uh, Richard Foster, who wrote a book uh, called uh, Life with God. And another a man named uh, Donald Fairbairn wrote a book called uh, Life in the Trinity. And uh, look, catch, capture this if you will that the theme of both books is that you could summarize everything from Genesis to Revelation as the story of how to live life with God. A life with God that was broken in the Garden of Eden and is restored through Christ in the here and now, not in the there and then, not in the by and by when I die, but in the present I can live with Him. This notion of living with Him and Him being in us is a challenging thought for us today, for Christians today. This, what is the Holy Spirit? And isn't th this kind of oogly-boogly, some sort of mystery of mysteries uh, that, well, it's, it may be mysterious, but it, it is real. And if it's not real, it, it, if we don't recognize the truth of it, we live at a level that's far below what we're called to live. And so this notion that we are in God and we live with him and he lives through us is something that is being reiterated here. I can't, I can't emphasize it enough. There's just so much here that needs to be, we could almost marinate on this for, for a bit, but it, then it goes on to say that just as I am in him, you are in him. And this is what I want to illustrate as I ask Chris to come over here for just a minute. We're going to be on the edge of the camera here, and I'm not an expert in this process right now. But this notion that if I were to say that chair was where God is, that, that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are engaged right there. And I have been invited to come into him. Now, I'm going to take one step in that direction and ask Chris to do the same. And then I'll take another step in that direction and ask Chris to do the same. And what do you recognize that's going on here? And now, as I come fully into Christ, we come into not just him, but one another. And so, so the illustration, if, if you had all been here in the room, <laughs> we would have done something like that. This notion where when you come to Christ, we come into a unity that he's talking about here. This is the unity that, that uh, that's, if you will, the secret sauce that creates something that is distinct from the Rotary Club. It's not like that. It's not just showing up socially. It's sharing a life purpose, a life mission, and sharing a kindred spirit, which is the spirit that the Holy Spirit puts in us. That, that is the... If I have that and you have that, then what unites us is transformative, not just to us individually, but to us as a church, to us as a body. I hope that makes sense because that's just so, such a powerful thing. And so I go on here to finish this passage. And only six verses makes it a lot easier than the last couple of rounds where there were uh, you know, several times that. So uh, re reading further, uh, Jesus goes on to say, Father, 
And this almost seems kind of anecdotal. He says, Father, I want those that you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory that the Father gave me because he loved me before the creation of the world. I mean, you can almost hear this longing. I want those that you've given me to be with me. Now, recognize what he has just done throughout this passage 13 to 17. He's basically said, while the world doesn't see me, you can see me because through the Holy Spirit, I'm going to come to you. You see, this notion that he's going to come to us, it has like three different ways of people understanding it. And if you look at all of the commentaries and such, you kind of pick up on this is that they're going to see him again when he comes back and he's after his resurrection. Yeah. And they're going to see him again when uh, they die and go to heaven. They're going to see him again. So you say, well, those are the ways, but not in the context of this passage. In the context of this passage, they will see him again through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit with Christ in, him, in us. So there's that piece of it. And then he's saying that when you come to heaven, you're going to see me even more vibrantly. There's this interesting thing that C.S. Lewis puts, puts out about heaven and hell and characterizes heaven as the powerful, proximate presence of God, of being in his presence. I mean, so powerfully. I mean, we can be in his presence through Christ here and now, but that is a step beyond. That is real. People talk about what streets of gold and all of that. Who cares? Uh, that what's there is the presence of God. And that's what transforms us. And so, if you will, um, uh, we, uh, Jesus is anticipating and looking forward. And by the way, C.S. Lewis also says that hell is the absence of the presence of God. It's the best that God can do for people that don't want to be in his presence. So you have to be someplace where he isn't. And that's not a place that's pleasant because he's not there. So I'll keep going. It says, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me, and I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known to them in order that the love you, just watch this, in order that the love you have for me may be in them and, get, watch, and that I myself may be in them. In order that the love you have for me, the love that God has for his son, may be in me and that he may be in me you would be the same, that this is a grand uh, aspiration. This is a grand opportunity that we might actually experience the presence of Christ. And so um, having brought you this far, um, just pause to recognize that, that believers wrestle with these things. Believers wrestle with doubt. Um, I was... Uh, doing some research uh, with uh, George Barna, and he indicated that from his studies that 65% of believers at some point will experience doubts. Much of the doubt focuses here around the role of the Holy Spirit and my walk with him, and that I can know this God, this being, this grand being, and that I can know that person as a person, not as a proposition, not as a future promise not as a doctrine, a teaching, uh, it, that I can know him as a person. That's where the wrestling, the doubts, if you, by the way, all people from all worldviews have doubts. I read that uh, atheists uh, pray, 25% uh, of atheists pray regularly whenever they have times of trouble. So people have, they, 
because this is the grandest of positions from the mountaintop about what, you're, what you believe. And what you believe defines how you live and the, and the abundance of the life that you live. This is John 10.10. 10. So I want to spend the rest of this a little bit of time focusing more not just on the teaching that Christ says, uh, through the Holy Spirit you can live, I will live in you, with you, and through you. That's the teaching. That, John 13 to 17, that's the teaching. Now the, 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 the application is, well, how does that happen? I mean, well, where, where does that come to be? Um, in fact, um, uh, the, the, the ancient Jews, and the Jews at the time of Christ, would wrestle with what's the first and greatest commandment. And the one that would pop out automatically came from the, what was called the Shema prayer that they prayed three times every day, which is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, uh, heart soul, and strength. Well, uh, naturally, they're going to say that. But a lot of Jews took, the, took it to task because they didn't know how to love. You know, tell me I can only take 75 steps on a Sabbath uh, and, and I can't go any further. That, that's a clear line in the sand, but to love somebody, this whole relationship stuff is where the action is, but it's where the, the, the doubts percolate. So how do we live with God? That, so if, and again, if, uh, if, we, if we were gathered together and, and the room had 100 people in it, each of whom had been believers for 10 years, do you know that would a, be a thousand years of life with God right there? in that one place, we would have had that. Well, you're not here, so you have to listen to me. <laughs> um, but I, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you the, the things that, that do matter. Um, and um, I created this little ac acronym called SPOKE, uh, as in speaking or as in the spoke on a bike. And the both will apply. And it's just something to kind of help remember a, a, a couple of thoughts. Um, so the question I'm trying to hold myself accountable to in sharing is, um, how does this work, a relationship with God? Um, how does the Holy Spirit engage me in such a way that, th that I can experience God as a person and not just as a teaching? And so, um, and this would be worth lots more time than we'll be doing, we'll be giving it. But um, of course, of course, uh, they're like old saws. Uh, scripture, people are going to say scripture, right? But you know, you can read the scripture and be in the ozone. Uh, I, I, if I were to ask you in the audience whether that has ever happened to you, I'd be stunned if uh, every hand didn't go up where there have been times when you read it and it didn't register. Um, but on the other hand, there have been times when scripture has been, I mean, really ripping my soul out. Um, and so, um, I, I just want to, so how do, how do I have that and not this, right? What, how do I make Scripture really uh, uh, be the voice of God in my ear um, in a way that matters? Now, so I'm, not, I'm just going to try and sprinkle a few thoughts. Um, uh, I'll tell you something. For me, um, uh, uh, as well as for Dallas Willard, who is one of my mentors, uh, at least uh, spiritually, um, it's... It's um, taking pivotal passages like John 13 to 17 and writing them, not just in my head, because really the Pharisees of old could quote the entire Pentateuch. Even a 13-year-old boy could quote the entire Pentateuch by heart. I'm not talking about that, but writing it on my heart is a different animal. And so I have written it on my heart. I was out uh, uh, a few months ago while Gretchen and I were in Florida, and. Um, 
I was just taking John 13 to 17 and I was just marinating in it. I was, it was overwhelming. It was, a, it, was, it was just working through me. And I had times when I was just, um, uh, just in awe, um, times where I was overwhelmed with gratitude. Um, I went out for a walk, but I ended up walking 20 miles, uh, lost in, in the moment as God was engaging me through these pivotal passages that were written on my heart. Anytime, any place. In the middle of the night uh, when I wake up, um, you can just take... Now, that may be a bit much, you know, five chapters, that's a lot, right? I know it is. Uh, just take the Lord's Prayer. Uh, uh, just take... I mean, you can spend a lot of time and go deep, deep, deep on the Lord's Prayer and let it happen in the morning and afternoon and evening of every day for the next month. Uh, that's something that takes, uh, that, that brings God's personality into your experience. And prayer, not just as petition, there's nothing wrong with petition. We are called to ask for things. Um, my dad uh, called me on my drive over here to do this recording. And uh, uh, my uh, stepmother is ill, and he asked for prayer, and we prayed in the car, uh, in route without driving off the road, thankfully. But, uh, but yes, pray for petition, with petition. But uh, prayer is a conversation. And a conversation isn't just speaking, it's listening. And times of silence. Uh, and also these commingling of all these pieces. Scripture things that come into your mind, if you've, especially if you put them there, uh, will just, they'll just be the, the transformative. Uh, they will bring, it brings God into view as a person uh, and not just as, as, a, as a religion. We, it's been said that Christians have a relationship, not a religion. And other people, you can't live the Christian life uh, with with, fully uh, with integrity without the presence of mature believers who share a life in Christ. Now, that, I'm saying that people... Who, who have the same agenda as you, to hear the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant, to recognize that this life is a life that I'm intentionally seeking to draw close to the Lord. Draw near to me and I'll draw near to you, James says. So well, that's what we want to do. And so if you put people like that around you, so look, don't overlook your spouse. Look, if your spouse is a believer, the nurturing of that unity in Christ is a, is a lifelong calling, and it doesn't get greater opportunity than 24-7, right? And, so, and don't overlook close and intimate friends. I, I have a friend, he's now passed away. I mean, I could never be in his presence that he wasn't, um, you know, kind and thoughtful and caring and compassionate and gentle and uh, humble and patient. And, and we could be with each other in a way that um, I wasn't just experiencing his presence. I was experiencing Christ in him, through him, into me. And so that presence of others. And then creation. Uh, Gretchen and I have this bucket list to go to all of the 61 national parks. But uh, what, whether, however you slice and dice it, uh, to be in nature is to recognize what God has done around us. Do you know what? 
he's not only created, by the way, if you're not following the James Webb telescope, you should. It's just amazing stuff happening. Turns out we don't have 400 billion galaxies. We have 2 trillion galaxies. And a galaxy might have between 100 and 400 billion stars. The, the, the magnitude of this universe, that that God before time and space and matter and energy knew I was coming and that he... Uh, created me in his image for relationship and intervened to, to, uh, to invite that relationship. If that doesn't melt you down, something's not right. Um, that presence of God in the world that we see. When I look out there and I see that there's light out there that took 13.8 billion years to get here, the God who is, is incredible. And that that God would know and love and be with me is, all, is beyond incredible. And then experience, which is just recognizing, I, I, everybody's had experiences, uh, car crashes where you almost died. Um, you know, I've been through cancer and through this and that and all kinds of, it's not like one thing is distinct that differentiates you from every other person on the planet. Every person on the planet is going through these things and to intentionally bring them to mind, to remember what God has done. In the Old Testament days, they would put up what are called stella, which were stones. And the, these piles of stones would, every time you walk over the Jordan, there's this pile of stones. And the little kids would say, why is that there? And the answer would be because, because God parted the sea, parted the river at that time. It just brings you into an awareness and an appreciation for what he's already done. And so this isn't an exhaustive list. Spoke, they often come together. You pray through scripture while you're walking in creation. Uh, they, they blend together like the spoke on a, on a bicycle wheel. And so with all of that, we now end this piece of the series, John 13 to 17. And I want to end with the same thing that we began, because I also had the privilege to introduce and now close this message. And I want to end with what is Jesus saying in John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17? This is his commencement speech. He's going to be gone in just a very short, in a matter of hours. He's going to be hanging on a cross in less than a day. And so it's, it's, this is what you really have to know in order to live the life that I have, have for you. He's basically saying, I am the Messiah, the Christ, the one that God has sent into this world. He sent me and I came. I came to share the words that the Father gave me. And he says that multiple times. He says, these words that you hear me say are not my own. These words that you hear me say, I don't speak on my own authority. He says that through in this exact language. And he makes a transition that I just blows me away. In uh, Ma Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you see the word kingdom of God as the theme of, of the teaching 125 times. And uh, Frank Viola says that there are 85, when you take the redundancies out, 85 different teachings on the kingdom of Christ. The kingdom of Christ only comes up, the kingdom of God only comes up one, uh, two times in all of John. He only brings it up two times, once with Nicodemus and once with Pilate. The rest of it, he's changed the language. He hasn't changed the substance. He's changed the language to this. Now Christ is in me. And Paul in the Pauline letters will repeat Christ in me 169 times. Me and Christ and Christ in me and the mind of Christ and all of these things, the, the equivalencies. Uh, and so the Christ in me is the kingdom. Uh, and, uh, and he's basically saying, I am, I am the way 
to live with Christ in the here and now. That's the message. And then he says, I'm leaving you now, but I'm, but he's leaving. He says, I'm leaving, but I'm going to send you my spirit and he's going to help you and be with you forever. And he's going to teach you all things and he's going to convict you, convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. He's going to do all these things. But you know what else he's going to do? He's going to usher in the presence of the Father and Son to make their home in us, with us. That's exactly what it says in John 14. So if we capture all of that, I am sending you my spirit. And then, last piece, I am sending you. I am sending, I'm not just sending you my spirit I'm so that you can be in me and with others in me. I am sending you to go and live in such a way that you are the conduit of my love into their lives. And don't get love wrong. The love is not a ushy-gushy, wishy-washy, I love pizza, or, or it's the love that, that Jesus is talking about is defined as this. Um, uh, he basically is saying to will the good of another. To will, that uh, uh, comes from uh, Thomas Aquinas, I think, uh, in the 1200s. To will the good of another. To will that good means I will do my part in advancing that good. It's not just to wish it. And the good is what God says is good. And he says a lot of things are good that our culture does not say are good. It says I, I can't compromise the definition of good. So in the context of this series, um, love has won. Um, in the context of this series, life with God is available now. He lives with us, in us, and through us. But there's a quid pro quo here, because as uh, Dallas Willard says, this is the faith that's not opposed to effort. Faith is opposed to earning. We don't earn our salvation, but you must make an effort to be a disciple. You cannot walk with God without intentionality and purpose. And uh, Willard says it best in using the acronym VIM. I have a vision that I will live this license in such a fashion that one day God will look at me and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But Willard used to say, and there was a book that was written called Preparing for Heaven that was written by a guy named Black after, who was with Willard when he died. His last words were thank you. And he wanted to see whether Dallas Willard would die and whether it was consistent with the way he lived or, or whether going through death's door would alter his uh, confidence or awareness. And it did not even the slightest. He basically, Willard basically said, you know, I might be uh, dead a uh, hundred years before I even know I'm in heaven because he was walking so closely with God while he was here, you see. And so I think he was doing that as an overstatement. At least I hope so because I don't get anywhere near that distance. <laughs> but I do recognize that um, we can experience something that is far, far, far better than living life to our own ends and means. Um, uh, so... Um, that's our. That, that's what we want to walk away with. How do I live in the that? Where I was going with it, I, I was searching for it. The senior moment, um, uh, John ten ten. I've come that they might have life, and that they might have it to the full. The secret to abundance in life is walking with Christ in the in the here and now. And the secret to that is obeying the teaching of Christ. He said it so many times. Whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man 
and whoever doesn't put them into practice is like a fool. There's effort to be made. It's the effort of discipleship, and it requires that we put the teaching of Christ, who defines what is good and wrong, right and wrong, and good and evil. We put that teaching uh, into our experience, and we find that that brings us ever closer to his presence so that the law, that love and obedience are two sides of the same coin. So let's uh, close in prayer, and then we'll... Um, uh, seek to um, capture as much as you can as we walk away. So, Lord, um, um, to whatever degree we've hit the mark here in framing uh, what you're trying to convey in John 13 to 17, in these final words to your loyal followers, uh, we pray, Lord, that you will just uh, help them to take root. Um, and we pray, Lord, that you'll transform us as they do take root in each of us. And, and we uh, leave it wholly in your hands. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.